every day. You exchange a day in your life for something. At the start of life, each of us is issued a coin. And all the coins are hidden in a large machine. So that we don't know how many we were issued or how many we have left. Each day, the machine issues a new coin. And maybe the last we get, or we may get many more. The average person in life receives 70 to 80 years worth. But some get far less. A few may get many more. You take each day's coin and exchange it for something. A day at work, a day at school, shopping, church, leisure, or whatever. Once you spend, you can never get back or spend them differently. The art of living is how you spend. It's largely a matter of spending your coins on the things that really matter in light of eternity and death. Living wisely is difficult because often the choice is not between good and bad, but between doing good and your absolute best. For most of us in life, we carry coins in a small bag. And at the end of the day, we open the bag and those coins have left us. For most of us, life is over when this begins to happen. The unspent coins are a reminder of unspent time. There are Christians in this room that merely exist. Some haven't started using their coins. Others gave up a long time ago. But thankfully, there is one person fully aware of this way of living who gave us an opportunity to use our coins as they were made. And that man is Jesus Christ. Life outside of Christ is a black market. But the salvation of the soul begins in life after baptism. Brothers and sisters, welcome to the soul business. Let's go to John 15. By the time we get to John 15, Jesus himself has very few coins left. Of course, coins meaning time. In fact, very little time can be said that Jesus had. So little that as we read verse 15, we find a transition in Jesus' ministry. In verse 15, 
I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. At this time, Jesus preached about many other topics whilst he was with the apostles. The promise of the Holy Spirit. He would be soon arrested. And in the next chapter, he told them not to be sad, but prepared them for his leaving. In summary, the apostles would become co-owners of the soul business. Why did Jesus no longer call these men servants? What was it about God's business that required Jesus to promote these men to being his friends? Surely Jesus would need more servants. Friends can let you down. Friends can take you for granted. Surely servants would be more sufficient as they fear punishment. Why did Jesus call these men friends? Surely they were even already his friends. It was masterful. So masterful, it's our first point. Family, not factory. Years on, by the time we reach the book of Revelation, we have seven different churches in Asia Minor that faced seven different layers of problems. The purpose of these problems were a way to test these churches so they would stay faithful to God and obeying His message. I have a question for you this morning. Are you complaining about God's workmanship? Or are you not grateful for God's quality control? Nobody likes control unless it's quality control. Watchmakers, Patek Philippe, have mastered every aspect of fine watchmaking. From the hand-winding to watch, to the standard complications and the functions such as the annual calendar in a watch or a second time zone. These are merely the basics. They have sophisticated masterpieces like minute repeaters, turbulence, and split-second chronographs. They are the masters of watchmaking. Craftsmanship goes hand in hand with modern machinery. You ask, what's the point? Your soul, just like your body, is a piece of high-tech machine mastery capable of processing hundreds of thousands of thoughts every single day, able to harness an extensive range of emotions and develop an undisclosed number of mental and physical skills at an ever-increasing level capable of running the four-minute mile, capable of inventing flights, and capable of harnessing the use 
of electricity. See, for Jesus, the business of soul winning would require more than simply a skilled hand. God requires a skilled heart. It would require a person willing to engage through the rejections, willing to fast to the point of human weakness, to unlove the unlovable and bear the cold rejection of defeat. This word business in the NIV doesn't mean business in the Greek. In fact, in the Greek, it merely means the word doing. But this isn't doing as such a, just a physical verb. In fact, the Greek word really means manufacture. Jesus was calling these men to become manufacturers in God's soul business. Soul winning was the business of Jesus and Jesus was looking for business partners. Let me ask you, is your Christian walk hand-fashioned or is it machine-made? I want to speak about last night. You know, it's such a pleasure to spend time with the fellow region leaders that we've got. I'm so grateful for them. So grateful for Caspar and Ashley, Colby, Rebecca, for Luke and Frankie, even though they were sick, so they couldn't be there. Michael, Michelle, so grateful for, for our parents in the faith. We were invited to a dinner over at the Orchids house. So shout out to the Orchids in the house. They put on probably one of the most exquisite dinners I've ever been to, ever. Not just as a Christian, ever. Five courses. How many of you have, been on, have done a five-course meal? I've managed only three. Five courses. And I thought that the food was just going to be enough. And then our sister Victoria comes in and plays the violin. It was exquisite. Use whatever word you want. Creme de la creme. Bellissimo. Fantastic. I was using French because it was just like, man, this is just too good for English. We had our sister Victoria uh, Apinchila host and she was just an exquisite host. Mentioned every meal in detail. And you know, for me, being married to someone who was formerly vegan, it's one thing if you can do great meat, if you could do a great vegan meal, that's when you get my seal of approval. So they really encouraged my wife. So I was very impressed with that. Very impressed. Let me tell you something. When I left that night, I couldn't help but think that this level of love, this level of excellence, really describes one thing. It showed us as region leaders a group of disciples that really have no title that have shown through their love and faithfulness that they are here to stay. That is huge. Let me tell you why. See, for some of us who have been around for a little while, now, I just heard somebody that got baptized in 1946, so I'm not going to claim ever to be around for a while. 
a little while. A little while. I truly believe there is an unwritten rule. You can look in somebody's eyes and know how long, based on their current faithfulness, how long they could be around for. Depending on the issues in their life, their level of surrender, their level of faith, their level of love, their level of Bible study, prayer, fasting, evangelism, first principles, five core convictions, you can kind of tell how invested they really are. This is biblical. Because in Exodus, you see the generation, the first generation, their faith could only get them as far as the desert. They passed the Red Sea, yes, but they didn't have the faith to make it to heaven. It was the second generation that made it to heaven. And it was only the minority from the first that made it. I saw women, young women, not just campus sisters, young women that have the faith to stay. I would lift up the Orchids household. That is what you showed yesterday. Yesterday was not merely a meal. It was a demonstration of your faithfulness to God. Are your convictions manually polished or do they come straight out of the box? Are you told you have to learn the first principles? Are you told to share your faith? Are you told to love? This is not what Jesus was looking for. He wasn't looking for merely servants, but friends. After all, it was Jesus that said, there is no greater love than a man lay down his life for his friends. See, we must know the plan of Jesus. And interestingly enough, in Luke 11, we see the first use of Father, where Jesus says, Father, hallowed be your name. But do you know the first time Jesus used the term brethren? for the apostles. Well, let's go to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. We often read 18 through 20. There's a little bit more meat on the bone right before that. In verse nine. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, referring to the women. They clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Do you realize where the apostles were at this time? They were not merely in light of the glory of God standing waiting for him in triumphal procession, expecting Jesus to come so that they can glorify him. They had all fallen away at this point. If you remember when Jesus was arrested, it's at that point in time that they all 
left him and fled. Bear in mind, at the Last Supper, Jesus did say, you will all fall away on the account of me. What's the point? Jesus, amongst the brothers that had fallen away, still referred to them as his brothers. It doesn't matter your current state. Your identity is not in the now. But your identity is as it always was. You are a disciple. You have the Holy Spirit. You are saved. You should not question these things. Jesus still had faith in men that left him. How much more faith those of us still here? Do you realize Jesus calls you family? In the darkest of times, it's easy after you've been used by God to be considered a family member of Jesus. But on the brink of falling away, you are still a family member. On the brink of doubt, questioning, am I really living according to the will of God? Can I really make it to heaven? Jesus is calling you a brother, a sister. You are still considered worthy. Your identity is not in your job, how much money you make, your achievements. It is in the fact that you are a family member of Jesus Christ. Here's my practical. Get entitled. Here's the problem. And this is where we we really go wrong as disciples. We get entitled about the wrong thing. The wrong thing. You know what I mean? I, I, for me, I, I, I can get, my sin is I'm super insecure. I get very insecure. I can get very people focused. And, you know, when it comes to entitlement, sometimes in my Christian walk, I've become very entitled. You asked Michael when I wanted to get married. I blew up his phone every week. Bro, can you help me with this? Bro, Can you help me with that? Hey, bro, this needs doing. Hey, bro, that needs doing. Hey, bro, I know you need to evangelize the world, but I kind of want to get married over here. Hey, bro, can you help me out? Now I'm originally, I don't know how it feels. Ooh, okay. I have much more grace on my leader. But we get tired about the wrong thing. We get tired about what we want. But what we want is not as good as what we've got. You're going to get entitled about your sonship, your daughtership. You should be saying things like, yes, I will evangelize the world. I'm a disciple. That's getting entitled. Because what's your title? You're a disciple of Christ. Some of us want the title of being a leader. You're a disciple of Jesus. You're a leader already. Get entitled. For me, wanting to lead Greece is one big lesson in entitlement. I don't care that I'm not Greek. I don't care I can't speak the language. I don't care. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I will lead that church. 
Let me, let me steal something from, from Anthony almost when he used to sub me. I'm a messed up guy. I've got problems. I'm fat. I didn't lose weight. I'm insecure. You know, I don't like black suits. This suit's from Primark. I wish I had a better suit on. Sometimes I wish I was a little bit taller. I've got backache issues sometimes. I don't really, I don't, you know, I've been challenged over and over again. I've got to lead my wife better. I mess up. Guys, I'm a messed up guy. I'm still a disciple of Jesus. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Stone me? Aren't you guys sinful too? Aren't you guys messed up as well? I know some of you guys. You say you get up at half five every morning and you totally don't. You totally don't. You know why? Because I'm a messed up guy. I mess up too. Sometimes I don't wake up at half five. Ask my wife. Sometimes I mess up. I'm like, man, I should really do a lot more evangelism. I see that guy. I'm like, man, that guy should be totally open. And I totally walk past him. And I'm like, man, I could have done better. What's my point? We're all level at the cross of Jesus. Here's my second point. Here's my second point. The wolf of Wall Street. Let's go to Haggai chapter 1. I love the book of Haggai. See, here's the thing about Haggai. We speak, we speak about church building and oftentimes we can overlook how they built in the Old Testament. See, this is during a time under Artaxerxes where in about 536 BC, there was a remnant of about 50,000 Jews that had returned from Babylon to Judah. And under King Cyrus, they rebuilt the altar and they laid the foundation of the temple. And they'd done a pretty good job at that point. But 14 years had passed and they stopped building. They were threatened by the Samaritans and opposing kings to stop building. And they did. They let outside influences stop them from building the temple. I don't know about you, that sounds very much like our life these days. Authority figures that can stop us from building the temple. That can hold our convictions. But here's the incredible thing. Let's read in verse 2. This is what the Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panel houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thoughts your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. They too had coins wasted. It wasn't so much about the authorities. It was them. 
Many will say, well, I don't know if we can build the, we got so much authority on us. It's, it's, it's a time of COVID. We don't know. It's not the right time to build. It was not an issue of the authorities. It was the hearts of God's people. It was the hearts of God's people. They had decided they would refuse to build. But in fact, they did not refuse to build. They decided to build something else. Their own houses. Let me ask you, which walls are stopping you from building the walls of the kingdom? Which walls are stopping your Wall Street? When it gets tough, do you stop? You know, for me this year, the discipling I've been given is, hey bro, you got to do better at leading your wife. Are there any marrieds in the house? Are there any married men in the house? Boy, I'm at that stage. I'm like, man, so goes your marriage, so goes your ministry. You better learn that lesson quick. My goodness. You try and get fired by the ministry, you don't fire up your wife? That is a lesson in disaster. You better make sure she's fired up. So I, I got this new thing I do with my wife. New thing. If I want to go on a prayer walk outside, I tell my wife, babe, do you want, you want me to get some olives for you? My wife loves olives. So anytime I want to go on a prayer walk outside, I kill two birds, one stone. Go to local Tesco, go to the MS with the fine olives, come back, prayed up, give my wife those olives, now she's fired up. Great night. I'm good. I'm good. Olives crank my marriage. Olives of all things. Amen. I'll take what I can get. Man. I got told again and again and again, bro, you got to go after your weight. And you know what I said? Amen, amen, amen. And then, and then God was like, hey, you're not going to listen? All right, I'm going to do something to you. So in December, I was decorating for my mom and I was sitting on a ledge, came off the ledge and I landed awkwardly and this pain shot up my back. Oh man, it was difficult. Paul Salumba knows what I'm talking about. Woo! And I got scared because I'm like, I'm like, I'm 26. What's going to happen? So after a day, the pain went. And then in January, the pain came back. I woke up and I was like, babe, I've got this bad pain in my back. Like, I can't, it's awkward. I can't really walk properly. Later on that day, I'm sharing my faith with Chris Worth. And I like bend down to like tie my shoelaces. I'm trying to get back up and I like felt something. I was like, what is that? I was like, Chris, I can't walk. So like, you're going to be okay, bro? You're going to be okay? I'm like, bro, I can't walk. Chris Worth had to like help me hobble home. That's only half the discipling. Just get ready for it. So I'm at home and I can't even sit down. I have to lay down. And it was like, this is humbling. God's like, I'm not even started. Because guess what we were doing for Bible talk that night? Circuit training. And whose big idea was it last week to make that happen? It was me. So here I am, 
listening to my Bible talk, do physical exercises, and I'm laying on my sofa. I felt like such a Pharisee. God's like, I'm not done with you yet. The next week, the next week, the pain returns on a Tuesday morning before staff. And I said to babe, I, I can't go staff. And she looked at me horrified. Like, what are you talking about? You can't go staff. You're a region leader. That's like falling away to you. And I was like, no, I've got to tell Michael. I've got to tell Michael. And then my insecurity kicked in. I was like, no, no, I can't. I can't do it. I can't do it. I've got to go. If I don't go, I can't bear to see Michael because I'm preaching a lesson or leading my mental fruitfulness. I can't tell him that I can't go. I've got to do it. So I called an Uber. I called an Uber. It would, it would be one of five Ubers I would call that week to get from A to B. God's like, I'm not done with you yet. I'm like, God, please. No, no. So uh, this week, because the pain isn't going yet. Uh, no, no, this time last week, actually, yeah. So I get this smart idea of, okay, you know what? Let me look at a chiropractor, right? No, 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 even before that, even before that. So I decided, okay, I want to encourage my wife. I want to do something fun and, and, and fun and enjoyable that I can at least manage to do. Yoga. <laughs> Notice one sister screamed amen. None of the brothers screamed amen about yoga. So I'm thinking to myself, well, this is pretty, I'm encouraging my wife. She likes yoga. Next morning, my back's even worse. I go, to, I go to, to staff, D time rolls around. And it's the brothers, it's the men and the wives. I say, you know, uh, you know, I just wanted to coach my wife, did a bit of yoga. Michael's like, yoga! Bro, is that your thing? Yoga. The whole staff were laughing at me. This brother, we tell him to deal with his weight and he goes and does yoga. <laughs> Michael's been preaching the gospel of weight training ever since. No way out of it. God wasn't done. I go on Groupon. Find a good deal, 24 pounds for a chiropractor. God, please, this should be enough. Go to some back alley place near UCL on Thursday. I walk in, this guy called Keith, nice guy. Keith, the chiropractor. I go upstairs, this place looks like a, a house that's been converted into a GP. It was the dodgiest place I've been in, in years. I go up and the guy takes all my details and he tells me, stand up. And I stand and there's a piece of paper on the wall and I look at it. And it says, uh, some chiropractor's name, Chloe something. Uh, level, two, uh, level two NBC in sports science, UEL 2019. And then Keith says, you're in good hands. I've got four years of experience. Four years. I can't let you touch my back. Four years. 
I've got Christians, I've got more experience than that. In back trouble. So he tells me, lay down. Before I know it, I'm laying down on this dodgy bench. It's got black tape all over it. Massaging my back. There's no clicks. There's no, there's nothing to make you feel like, you know, there's some work being done. Before I knew it, he's like, okay, we're done. He's like, yeah, just come back next week. You'll be fine. I was like, Keith, what happened? Was that it? Yeah, that's it. Just come back next week. You'll be fine. I left in more pain than I came in. Okay, God, I'm going to repent. That's it. Weight training, working out, eating good. I'll do whatever. I don't want to ever go. Sin will take you further than you want to go. Oh. Hidden sin can become hidden greatness. What is the sin in your life that God is hidden from you? You better go find it because that is where the hidden greatness lies. That is where it lies. So I'm fired up. I'm, I'm fired up. I'm super fired up. I'm like, okay, this is great. Can't wait for that six pack. Can't wait for those muscles. Can't wait to come in wearing that tailor fitted suit. Gonna feel all good. I can eat what I want. My wife's not giving me a side. I'm like, why has he bought that burger again? I can eat it with full confidence. I can't wait for that. What is the greatness you can't wait in your life? You better dream about it. I'm so proud of the East region. Let me tell you something. Three baptisms last week, all converted by new disciples. Our sister Esther, baptized, less than a year of a disciple. There's Esther, I can see you right there. Yeah, you. Converted her cousin, Brianna. Amali, there's Amali over there in the back. Personal trainer, converts a fellow friend, Olivier. Olivier's doing awesome. Denisa, it's so funny, they're all sitting like one by one by one, by each other, that's awesome. Denisa reached out to one of her closest friends, Mahela. What is the point? These are all baby Christians. What is your excuse? What is it? Don't come to me and ask me, what do you need to be fruitful? Go ask them. Go ask them. They will tell you. Why do I want to go and leave Greece? Because I've outstayed my welcome in the London church. I've outstayed my... There's no way that I can be under a man for 11 years and know things like embracing change, know how to preach the whole book of Acts, the five core convictions, the first principles. There is no way I'm going to stay in London. Absolutely no way. And I'm not alone. And I think this is something that has been meaning to be said for a long time. There are some of us in this room that have outstayed their welcome in the London church. You've absolutely outstayed your welcome and you need to go. You need to go. I am not going to Greece 
I'm not going to Greece because I want even something incredible. I'm going to Greece to stay saved. That is why. Don't you realize what we're reading? We're reading the book of Haggai. These disciples, these people of God, they, if they would have stayed in Babylon, they would have fallen away. If you stay here, you will fall away. Why? Because Babylon represented comforts. If you are comfortable right now, you will fall away. Here's my second practical. Slay the wolf. Identify the dominant sin in your life that's stopping you from dreaming about world evangelism. In closing, you got to choose the nation that you are going to go to to stay saved. If some of us stay in London for another five, ten more years, you will not be here. And you know it. Five churches so far in Europe. London, Paris, Amsterdam, Edinburgh and Dublin. There's another 39 more to go. As a region, we are 44% past our special missions goal. But let me tell you something. I'm looking for brothers and sisters in this room, irrespective of region, willing after the goal is over to continue to build. Because guess what? Special missions is not on the table. Special missions is in your hearts. It's in your minds every day. Every day you wake up, you think of where you will go, what you will build, where you will be in five, ten years, the languages you will speak and that your children will speak. This is not a matter of glory, but a matter of salvation and to go build the glory.